Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Open Mic Podcast. My name is Caroline. I'm a junior at Columbia University, and I'm so excited to be hosting this series where we'll be talking about school and life and everything in between. Each episode will feature a new topic and a different guest. And today, I'm so excited to be introducing my good friend, Cleopatra Lim. Cleo, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me, Caroline. My name is Cleopatra Lim. A lot of people call me Cleo. I'm a junior currently studying psychology and creative writing at Columbia University. And I'm also on the swim team here. And I also run a food Instagram called Cleats, where I document my food adventures around New York City. Yeah, that's so awesome because a lot of the episodes that we filmed so far on the podcast have been like super academic driven. And so we want to show people that ideally a college student is not only studying 24-7. And so I think Cleo with her food account shows how you can balance social life and academics and also swimming in your case and just like everything else in the college world. So I think it's really cool that you have this. And it really, um, I didn't really, really realize until after I made it, but it actually helps me have more of a social life because I can um, make excuses to hang out with my friends and ask them, oh, there's this place I have in mind if you want to come with me. And in that way, I get to like keep in touch with them as well. Yeah, I think that's something that's like interesting about social media because in a way it helps keep yourself accountable even if it's for like keeping yourself accountable for having fun too it's like oh I have to manage my social so I have to go have fun right now how do you find all these places in New York to go to are you originally from New York or how did that come about I'm originally from New York uh, New Jersey actually this small town called Tenafly and it's only 20 minutes away from New York City um, like this campus so I've always been in the vicinity and have heard just by like my friends who go to the city a lot and a lot of the times like growing up kids would like host birthday parties here and we'd like come and it'd be so exciting but mostly I get my recs from other foodies there's this huge community on Instagram like people in New York City who run food Instagrams and we all follow each other just reading their captions uh looking at their posts a lot of them post about like the same places especially if they're really good And so when I see a place that comes up on my feet a lot from these people, then I know that I should give it a try. Oh, I see. So it's kind of like you have to do your little research before going. Maybe we could start with like around Columbia and Morningside Heights. Do you have a couple of recommendations for us to go forever around? Yeah. So some of my favorite places to go around here are Wu and Nuss. Community is a great brunch place. There are a couple in Harlem, like Sylvia's, that are really famous just throughout the city. Everyone loves to go to Cornette's. I think it's pretty decent. I also like um, Famiglia's, which is right across the street for more thin crust pizza. Staying within the Upper West, like around 80th, there's Maison Pickle and Jacob's Pickles. Maison Pickle is more American French. Jacob's Pickle is more like Southern American but they both have really great foods. Maison Pickle, is that how you pronounce it? I can never pronounce it. There's definitely a like French way to pronounce it. <laughs> I just go like straight, like I picture it, so I say like Mason Pickle or like Maison Pickle or whatever. It's also kind of American, so I guess we don't have to pronounce it like the best. <laughs> that place is actually pretty famous. They are famous for the French dip. I usually get their honey butter pulpar bread. Mm-hmm. And it's these like huge chunks of bread with honey drizzled all over it and like whipped butter that's really light and fresh, um, like 
just just coating it. It's really indulgent, as is every other dish on this menu. So like if you get their fried chicken and waffles, it's like a huge stack of waffles with like massive pieces of chicken. I don't think anyone in their right mind could like finish any dish here, but it's really good because when you go, you know that you're getting two meals, probably the one that you eat there and the one that you have to bring back. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And I'm looking at the chocolate cake. I feel like I've seen this a lot on social media. Do you want to explain what that is? The chocolate cake that they have is really Instagram worthy. It's this insane 24 layered tiered like cake. It's really decadent, really rich. The chocolate is not so sweet that it feels overwhelming. It's actually more like on the richer, like almost a savory chocolate. A lot of people post it on their Instagram because when you look at it, it's like looking at like your arm's length <laughs> in chocolate cake. This one time that I went, I did actually order it. I was like determined. Of course, we didn't make a dent in it, but we took it, we took it back home. Places like these that like keep in mind that a lot of the customers that they get rely on like finding these places on Instagram or like PR. They're really smart in making things that aren't like maybe like the most practical, right? Like I'm sure they could just make like a smaller cake that everyone would kind of enjoy and like it would just be a nice closer. But I think it's a good business idea because they're able to bring so many people in just because of like that one post on Instagram that's trending, right? A lot of food Instagrammers, I think, are marketers in a way. Mm -hmm. And that's why they collab so much with restaurants that they like because they get to eat for free or like the restaurants will pay them to get traction or like bringing customers for them. And they also get to kind of promote the food that they enjoy eating. Definitely. Like it's if, if you have good content or good food, it's hard to, I don't know. It's like, even if you have good content, it's hard to like get it out there. So I feel like this new wave of social media is really helping with that. Mm-hmm. Have those around Morningside Heights been your go-tos? Yeah, they've always kind of been my go-tos, especially when like, let's say we're midterm season, I'm not going to take like an hour or two hours out of my day to go down, get a meal, come back. (laughs) Uh, So I'll usually just grab something quick around us. Everything is like always changing, maybe at a slower pace than downtown, but I always see new places come in and I still have so much to explore. Like what my food Instagram might lead you to believe is that I go and eat out every day, but I don't do that, unfortunately. And I still have so many places like on Amsterdam and Columbus to explore. We were talking before and you had some really good, like specific restaurant recommendations. I'm going to like look through your Instagram. I'll try to tell you as much as I can about. Um. <laughs> so I think the first place is Cafe China. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So that's a place that my boyfriend recommended to me. Um, we were in the area and he was like, oh, wait, like, there's this amazing Chinese place we could go to for food right now. And he explained that they used to have a Michelin star. Not only do not that many Asian places have Michelin stars, I think they're very geared towards either Japanese only or like French cuisines. And so this was really unique because it was one of the only ones in New York City that had a Michelin star and was like a Chinese restaurant. And it's really affordable. We went, I think, this was a couple days after indoor dining started again. 
we got the dandan noodles. We kind of ordered like the whole menu. It was so amazing, the food. Sometimes you can taste just like excellence. And this is really just like an excellent place. It was really nice to see like the kind of down to earth atmosphere and knowing that they were on something as like refined as the Michelin Guide. You can kind of just tell like it was just like the food that really mattered. And what about AOI Kitchen? Is that how you say it? Yeah, so this place is in the Lower East Side, I think, um, near NYU's campus. We got katsu and we got the almond rice, which comes with like the egg on top, which like you can cut into and it uh-huh. spreads out. Truffle fries, I think they had. And they had this really good raw cured octopus Ooh. with wasabi sauce. That was one of my favorite dishes from this place. Cool. What about Nami Nori? Nami Nori was really a standout. In the past couple months, I've been to a lot of places that have just like blown me away. And this was one of those places. I saw this place on a lot of my friends' Instagrams and a lot of just foodie Instagrams. It came up so much that I realized that I just had to go there. They serve tamakis, which are, you can essentially think of them as sushi that's like deconstructed. You kind of eat it like a little taco, like a little Asian taco. They have so many different kinds. Every like bite is really so well executed and that you can really tell that they like put their thought into it. Like not only the piece of fish, but like what's on top of the sashimi. And so like, is it going to be a crunchy or is it going to be smooth? Is it going to be like spicy or sweet? Um, That's all really well thought out. Totally recommend it. It's kind of a trek from Morningside Heights, but it's so worth it. Yeah, I feel like like you were the way that you were describing the thought process that goes into every decision. Like, is it crunchy? Is it smooth? Cooking is like an art form and not even just those decisions, but also like the plating and just everything is an art form. What about Raku? So Raku is this udon place that also has a variety of different dishes, but their udon is definitely like the main, main star. I came here also when it was really chilly outside and it was all outdoor dining. It like, it's so cold and it's all outdoors. I didn't know like if I could actually enjoy the food. The udon came out in this huge bowl that was like piping hot. I could just place my hands on it and be warm. All their noodles are like freshly made and like hand cut. And the way you can tell is that when you're eating a noodle, the ends are slightly wider Uh than the rest of the noodle because when you cut it, it like kind of squishes the ends, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's something that I think they even do on purpose to show how fresh it is. And we also got fried oysters. I'm like not even the hugest fan of oysters. I I will eat them just to feel like bougie once in a while. (laughs) Uh, But they made it so good that like, anyone who's like kind of on the fence about oysters I think if they have this ish they won't be anymore I feel like I'm just saying good things which makes people think (laughs) that I only ever have good things to say about food but these are like really just like highlights on my feed and when people ask me for food recommendations usually the ones I've just talked about are like the ones that I start out with do you have a bucket list of like or like a list of places you still want to go to be honest I don't have a written list which I think 
any like rational organized human being who <laughs> runs a food Instagram should have one, but it's mostly like a mental list. So it kind of makes it more of a freer experience where let's say I am with my friends downtown, we're shopping in West Village and um, we're getting hungry. So I pull up my Google maps and I look at just restaurants around us and there will definitely 100% be a couple places that I've heard of like many, many times. I've noticed them and have mentally been like, I really want to go here when I get the chance. And that's a chance. So a lot of the times it's really spontaneous like that. Um, there are some where I want to go really badly. So I'll actually just like ask one of my friends, I want to go here. Will you come with me like tomorrow? And we'll just make the journey down just for the restaurant. I bet like a lot of people like to go shopping with you or like to hang out with you because you know all the good places to eat. <laughs> I was actually just looking through some of my texts recently. There's so many people who text me for recommendations. Oh, really? Really weird because I'm not really that big on Instagram. I don't post nearly as much as like the big food accounts do, but I do think that because I've had it for over two years, a lot of my friends just associate me with the, the account and they're like, I want to, I want to find somewhere good to eat. Let's ask Cleo. And I can usually scrounge up a list that um, they can work with. You're like your own food encyclopedia or like, you're like the human dictionary of food where people can just like, I don't want to Google. I can just ask Cleo. <laughs> and you said you started it over or around two years ago. How did, how was like your first post made? How did you decide to take that leap? I remember my first post actually, just because I don't know, I guess it was special. <laughs> we went to David Chang's restaurant in Hudson Yard. Mm. It was just me, my brother, and my parents. And the food was so beautifully plated. Like the presentation was so beautiful that I was like, this is something like you have to take out your camera for. Um, so I took out my phone and tried to take a couple pics. And it was like the first time that I tried using portrait mode on my phone. Ooh. At the time, it was like a new feature. <laughs> Now it's like cameras are insane qualities, but I took a couple, couple pictures and I, they were so good. Like, it sounds like I'm bragging, but it was, the camera was really good and the lighting, just everything fell into place really well. And so I was like, I can't waste this picture. And I had also had so many pictures that I've accumulated over the years of like food. And so I was like, okay, why don't I just start an Instagram? And I've always been someone who like, really enjoys posting on social media about like things that I like to do. So I have like a bunch of Instagrams already that have like succeeded and failed and you know, but it's always a new journey. And so I was like, okay, why not? And I started posting it. Back then my captions weren't nearly as in depth as they are now. It was just kind of like location and what dishes I'd order. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. Oh, that's so cool. And you mentioned that you, did you try out like different ventures and not just food, but other like social accounts too? Yeah. Like I'm a creative writing major cringe, but um, <laughs> I had like a poetry account at one time. I, I think when I was like 12, I had a meme account, <laughs> but only like swimming memes. It's a really mm -hmm. small niche, but yeah, I've, I've done a lot, I think. Yeah. That's fine. It's, it's a creative outlet and it's something cool to share with people like the public, like people who don't necessarily know you in person, but know you from your accounts. What have been your favorite 
cuisines to try around New York, like the different categories? Yeah. So New York is really special, I think, in terms of food, because um, I'm not going to say that they have the best of every cuisine, right? But I think if you're looking for a cuisine, you can totally find it. And, um, and usually there are some really, really great um, restaurants for each cuisine. Um, and it just like helps you explore a lot. But the cuisine that I really love eating is Asian. And I, I guess that sounds just like what I'm, I'm sticking to what I'm familiar with. But um, growing up, like I only really were, was able to eat out at um, Italian restaurants and, and American French restaurants and um, get pizza or bagels. And that was kind of everything that my town had at the time. Um, like we had maybe one takeout Chinese place um, that does like fried rice and like not really like a authentic Chinese food. So it was, it was kind of difficult for me to experience my own culture's cooking if I wasn't eating at home. And so coming to college now, not only am I homesick to eat like my mom's like Korean dishes and like um, just like I just love like the flavors that Asian Asian um, cultures use in their foods. So it was really it was really great to be in New York City because I get to explore all these different types of foods like from Japanese to to Chinese and Cantonese and uh, obviously like whenever I get homesick I go to K Town and I have some Korean food. <laughs> so. I love eating at those Asian restaurants, but I would say I I do explore a lot. Like I think for Valentine's Day, my boyfriend and I went to um, this place that was like an Alpine ski lounge. Ooh. Yeah. We had like Alpine dining, like as if you would go to like Switzerland and like ski there and eat there. So it was pretty cool. I love that in New York, in the city, you can essentially travel, or I guess you could say you could find places that are very authentic to different cultures. Like you don't have to get on a plane and fly to Switzerland to eat something that would be served there. Oh my gosh, wait, I see one, the Dokboki one. Yeah. Is that in K-Town? Yes, that is. That's at Five Senses. I think they do like all kinds of Korean foods. A lot of people go for their Dokboki because it's so cheesy. They also put seafood in it, which kind of refines the dish. And then their fried rice is also extremely popular. They put cheese on it. They stack it into a little mountain. Um, you kind of eat, eat it from there. Um, my friends are obsessed with this place. They, they love it. And every time we go to K-Town, they want to go there, which isn't really helpful for my food Instagram because I can't be posting the same restaurants over and over again. Uh, so I'm always like, oh, like we just went there, let's try somewhere else. But it, I have to admit that it, the food is really great. And I I was like wondering this ever since I knew about cheese dokboki. Why do we put cheese on it? Why is that a thing? I think um, Asian culture now, maybe not just Asian, just Korean specifically, they recently discovered cheese. <laughs> it's never really been a big part of our cuisine at all. Um, because a lot of people are lactose intolerant and things like that. But now they put in everything. Like another post that you'll find is when I went to OK Dog, 
and it's like that Korean corn dog place. Yes. They've started making those too because like it's really cheesy once you take a bite out of it. Like the cheese is just like the pull is amazing. I'm also looking at this post. It says milk and cream bar. Oh, that's a place that I've only been twice, but the only reason why I've only been twice is because it's so far. It's in Chinatown, so like Mm -hmm. way lower east side. Um, In order to get there, I would probably have to be on the subway for like 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah, so that's another thing. Like, I feel like my food Instagram isn't that um, big right now, or like I can't post that often because I live so far away from a lot of these places. Like take this post, for example. Another, like my boyfriend and I, we, I guess I coerced him into coming with me, but there's a lot of places in the Lower East Side where I've wanted to try. And so I plotted out a journey, like a walking journey of about six food places. And we would just do that all in a row. And we'd eat like six meals in like a couple, in like two or three hours, I guess. We got to hit like a lot of places without having to make like six separate trips. It's nice that your boyfriend went with you too. It's like your little couple's date for like six six dates in one shot. No, by the end, he was definitely like, I can't eat anymore. Like, I can't handle it. And I was like, you have to. Can you eat more than him? Probably. Um, probably the same amount, which mm-hmm. he's a little bigger than me. So that makes sense. <laughs> Is it because you swim too? Does that help with your appetite? Yeah, for sure. Um, that I've always been kind of a big eater. And like, especially when the season is in like full grind and we're doing two practices a day mm-hmm. I can eat like almost however much I want and not feel nearly like as full as I want to be and it's always kind of like this growing hunger like if I'm not <laughs> constantly eating I feel almost like famished all the time gotcha so mm-hmm. when you're like on campus during the swim season do you get the chance to go down and explore food places in the city or is it more dining hall oriented? It's definitely more dining hall oriented. Um, Not just because of like time, which that's definitely a constraint. Like we have practice in the morning and in the afternoon. So we can't do anything between that time. And we also have classes. And then after practice in the afternoon, um, there's always like homework to be done. and we're really tired at that point. So we don't want to be going on a subway and making the trek down. Yeah. Um, it's the only time we really can go out is like weekends. Yeah, it's mostly dining hall, like especially since after practice, the whole swim team will walk through the dining hall together to get like breakfast or dinner, something like that. Is that every single day that you practice? Yeah, so um, the NCAA, allows every team to have like tw- up to 20 hours of practice a week and clearly we just do all of that um, <laughs> we practice twice a day from monday to friday and then one time for two hours on saturday so wow that's definitely a day off wait what time in the mornings <laughs> so next year schedule is going to be six to seven thirty in the mornings uh-huh. and then um, various times in the afternoon it could be at two to four or like four to six um, and that's kind of like there are two options you can pick and choose depending on 
like if you have a class it, like from two to four then you go to the four to six mm -hmm. uh, so it's there's kind of some freedom there oh nice yeah because I also swam in high school so I was oh. captain of the swim team my senior year but it was I don't think it was ever this intense and so I was just wondering like how different is high school varsity swimming from oh. college varsity swimming yeah it's um it's very different just because I don't know about your high school but where I swam high school it was not a big deal at all it was kind of just for fun yeah. um, and I'll, like we didn't have that many good swimmers so it was like um we would just you know like, yeah do whatever. but m most of the swimmers who swim competitively swim for club and mm -hmm. that was really intense um um yeah so but that wasn't nearly as intense as the college because we would only have time to practice once a day because school is eight hours long and then you practice and then you go back home. But here, because you're kind of, your whole life is centralized within the campus and there's not nearly as much class time as there was in high school. There's so much time that you can otherwise spend like practicing or at competition. Yeah, I always felt like club swimmers, you guys are so dedicated. And now like varsity college athletes, it's just... I, I spoke with a couple of athletes on some of the previous episodes and it's just I feel like it's amazing how you guys are able to balance everything and still like do well in school and still be able to like run your Instagram account and go out and eat and stuff like that. It's either amazing or it's like kind of crazy mm -hmm. and um, stupid in a way <laughs> but just because you know that um, unless you're going to the Olympics which I know I'm not it's there is a, it's a dead end, right? Like once you graduate, um, you kind of have to say bye to it forever. It's not like a goal that you're striving towards. Oh. Um, but I will say that I feel like it's personally worth it just because there's so many great people on the team. Um, uh, I just get, it's sometimes it's like just really nice to like sweat and exercise and know that like not everything is, has to be like academics. And I do feel like swimming has helped me a lot with academics because it serves as like a mental break sometimes. And it's taught me a lot about like time management and like, like work ethic that I can apply there too. Thanks for bringing that point up too, because I think, I don't know, whenever I think of athletes, I mean, I guess maybe since I'm like still in college, I'm only looking at these four years, but it's interesting to know that like people have different athletic paths after college and after graduation. What proportion of college athletes would you say are looking to go professional after? Not a lot. Um, especially, I would say, not in the Ivy League. Mm. Because when you um, commit to swimming in the Ivy League, it's very much geared towards academics. Um, there's nothing binding you at all to athletics. So what's special about the Ivy League is that while other state schools might offer athletes scholarships for continuing to do their sport at the school, when you go to an Ivy for, enough for athletics, you can go to like the first practice and say, you know what, I wanna focus on academics for these four years and I quit. And you get, there no, there's no repercussions whatsoever because you go to that school to, to, to study and um, bonus if you do the sport. It's not the other way around, yeah. Does that mean that all the teams allow walk-ons too if it's not like 
Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know about all the teams, but definitely the swim team does. We have a couple walk-ons that are great. Um, and they're just like the regular team, like teammates, um, except that they're definitely like a lot more geared towards academics. They didn't probably didn't spend that much time doing athletics beforehand or something. Um, but yeah, it's, I would say for people who um, don't ne- necessarily feel like they have to pursue it professionally, athletics in the future, after they get, graduate, going to the Ivy League is a good idea because um, you're, you can still do it. But if at any time you feel like maybe athletics is getting in the way of my studying, then um, then you can quit and you can fully focus on like your future path too. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a really good point to make. I never yeah. really thought of it that way. A lot of people don't know it. A lot of people think that um, Ivy Leagues give scholarships for athletics, which they don't. They're like one of the only schools that, they, that don't have that. Yeah, I guess that means like everyone on the team is really just like motivated to be there and like to stay on there for the, like if you're staying on for the four years. Yeah, it's definitely, you can sense it because um, and we all have a lot more fun that way. You know that everyone wants to be there and isn't just there in order to get a couple, like to get their tuition lowered or like things like that, right? There's no, nothing tying you financially or like legally to continuing the sport. How did you go about the college recruitment or athletics recruitment process from high school? Yeah, so I think this actually has been getting so much traction lately because with like the whole college admission scandal, Mm -hmm. um, people know a lot more about recruiting now, but it's definitely something that people didn't originally know a lot about except for athletes. And every timeline is different for every sport. So some sports start talking to you when, some colleges start talking to you when you're in eighth grade for some sports, which is really early. Um, For swimming, it's a little late. Um, I started talking to coaches my junior year of high school. And what happened mostly was just, they were like, we see that these are your times. These are great times for, and they fit well with us. Um, We just want you to consider us. um, And you also keep them updated on like um, your SAT scores, you'll send that to them and they'll run it through admissions to make sure like, would this person um, be okay at school here? Um, would they be able to thrive? When your grades come out, you forward it to them, they do that again. And through this kind of process of keeping in touch back and forth, um, you kind of establish a relationship. And by, by the end of junior year, like the summertime, you have a list of a couple of schools that you're looking at, um, which then you would go to visit on these official recruiting trips in the fall of senior year. And that's really when you make your decision and you get to know the school better. And you're like, oh, I think Columbia is the one for me. I really want to go here. You talk to the coach, you tell them, you tell them what you want, you want to commit. And that's basically it. Um, of course, that's not like 100% saying that you're in it's a lot of it is just up to like you have to still apply regularly and um, send in your common app your scores and everything but they are saying that when you do get in there is a spot here for you on the team that's what recruiting is generally about how did you decide 
on Columbia then? So it was, I originally had no like idea of coming here. I, I was always like a big environmentalist when I was younger, which is kind of, I, I guess I was just like, like super, I would like come into a room and if like the lights were on, I would like shut them all off and be like, <laughs> wasting so much energy. And so obviously like New York City, lights are on all the time, like pollution, everything. Um, I was never really that attracted to it, especially I just lived so close that it didn't have that appeal that a lot of people get when they're coming from California or like a different country. Um, but I went on my trip here for, um, for the fall of my senior year and the girls on the team were really nice to me. Um, they were really funny as well and I felt like they fit well with um, the kind of people I wanted to surround myself with. They're, and not only that, a lot of the people I met on campus were so passionate about what they were doing that it didn't even feel like they were like college students taking classes. It felt like they were just real people like pursuing um, their dreams. Mm-hmm. And so I really thought to myself, like, if that's what that kind of person I want to be, then I should surround myself with these kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And I really fell in love with it. And also just fell in love with the city as well. Like, um, I remember they took us to get dessert, brought us down on the subway, and like, we just got off at any stop and look for dessert. And it felt really free. And um, it felt like I could explore if I actually came here. Yeah, I think a big theme of today's episode is like freedom and not having to, you know, stick to such like a strict defined path. Your food Instagram too, it's kind of spontaneous and your, I guess your, your interest in New York City and why you wanted to come here and like the people that you meet here are also going on their own free paths. I think that's really cool. Maybe let's shift to other things to do in New York City that you've enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So this question is definitely tougher to answer now because of coronavirus, but I think people are like starting to be more open to like different forms of activities. It, I haven't done too much since I've gotten back activity-wise, but I always enjoy going to like farmer's markets. Like you can find them in Union Square. Um, we even have our own little one outside of Columbia that I always like to go to in the morning. Another thing is I like going to like pop-up museums, really. So like I've been to like Museum of Illusions. Oh, and like the, they have like ice, the ice cream pop-ups. Mm-hmm. Museum of Ice Cream, I think. Oh, I went to actually a Friends pop-up that they just opened. So if you're a big Friends fan, I think there's one in New York City and one in Chicago. It's like this whole pop-up experience. I, they call it an experience instead of a museum because, <laughs> um, I don't know, I guess you experience it. That's definitely a good idea. And they're very good about like following COVID regulations. We also went to VR World, which is another place you can go to that I don't think a lot of people know about it, but I like to take my friends there sometimes. It's this modern place building with a bunch of VR games. They have little masks for your eyes to put the VR thing on top because of COVID now. And you get to just like for two hours, play as many games as you want and then leave. So that's really nice. These things I think you can find easily if you like look on like Thrillist a lot, look for things to do around the city and like even just asking locals what they do. 
it's such a good way to find things to do without having to do like the normal touristy things so, like going to Times Square or like the Empire State Building yeah that's true I think it's funny because I guess the like the the touristy things that we associate with New York is not what the local New Yorkers are into because it's like I guess because they're like living there already so it's not like too big of a deal but these like little pop-up shops or like these little less well-known things to do is what like people who live in New York actually do. Do we want to talk about your Columbia, your favorite Columbia tradition or something only a Columbia student would know? I'm really interested in like film and TV too. Uh-huh. Um, there have been a lot of movies and shows that have been filmed in Columbia. I think I read this one fact that Havemeyer Hall is actually the most filmed lecture hall mm-hmm. in all of like show history. I know a lot of people actually who watch Gossip Girl and they're like, I want to go to like Columbia and like I want to go to like New York City, right, and experience this lifestyle. Disclaimer, <laughs> like you, that lifestyle is like not exactly what I would say you're gonna get, but <laughs> you do get to see you get to see Columbia's campus being shown as Yale on Gossip Girl. Ah, uh-huh. Here's on a lot of other shows right now. Like, I really love the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She's supposed to live on One Thirteenth and Riverside, and her father um, works at Columbia. And just a lot of things like the Manhattan Project was also researched at Columbia University. Maybe let's talk a little bit about classes since we are college students. You said you're majoring in psychology and creative writing. So how did you decide on those? That was definitely a hard decision for me, just because I knew that I didn't want to take like the traditional route of like economics or um, like any kind of science or like comp sci. I know that I've never been like, like a sciencey person. So I've always loved English, like loved writing, but I didn't want to be like an English major either. Um, So I decided, I think sophomore year, that I wanted to do two majors, one that would show, I guess, employers that I know how to like, I know how to like study a a kind of science and know how to do like analytical work, but also that I know how to be creative. And that's also just like the side that I prefer to express my creativity in. Doing these two, I think, offers me a really good balance And I think this is a good way to split up your majors that a lot of people who are not so set on like one path can do as well. I I was planning to major in something like just only one major, like marketing or communications in college, but Columbia doesn't offer a lot of these like technical majors that are more like applicable to jobs. So I kind of had to pivot and like find my own way that would like show me that I could do like analytical plus creative, which is what a lot of these majors have. That's a good way to do it. Like you you show you have your right brain and your left brain and working (laughs) together. (laughs) What have been your favorite classes so far, either for the major or for either of your majors or in the core? I've had a lot of good psychology classes. Like for my major, I would say my favorite one had to be thinking and decision-making a lot of econ students take it actually because it talks about like why do we buy things when they're on sale even though they're not even like that cheap right or like why do we make these decisions when like when we're like doing insurances like why do we think that paying like this much every month will pay off in the end 
um, that was, it was really just an interesting class that like, I think like, even if you're not in psychology, like everyone would get something out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, with writing classes, there's not much, there's not many classes that are just like lectures. Actually, I don't think there are any at all. A lot of them are just workshops and seminars. And so my favorite have been like workshops where I get to meet like all these different types of people who you really bond with just because you're reading work that's so personal. So I've read, I've taken like nonfiction workshops that have been my favorite probably because you go into class, you see all these people who like you've never seen on campus before. They're all different grades, all different types of people. And um, by the middle of the semester, you know them like better than you know a lot of your friends, I would say, because you get to read about like um, really personal things that have happened to them. I've read like some shocking stories and stories that have like literally made me cry. And that's also I would recommend to a lot of my uh, my friends that are on the swim team or friends that I've just met who like are who do a lot of science classes because that's like a class where you don't have to be good, right? Like you don't have to be a good writer. Um, you just have to like improve and show that you improve, um, but you get so much out of it. And I think it's so valuable, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's that's a good note to end off on because I mean, we talked a lot, a lot today, your foodie adventures, your swimming experiences, recruitment and academics too. So is there anything you wanted to add before we end off? I'm really grateful for just like the opportunity to be in New York City. Um, I know we kind of glossed over that. And I did mention that like, because I live so close, like I'd always taken New York City to be like, just like a 20 minute drive away. And it's like not that special to me. But after like being here, I realized kind of why so many people go through um, so much and like the property taxes and like the high rents um, in order just to stay here, right? It's because of this like idea of freedom and like you can really do whatever you want and whatever you feel like doing in New York City, right? Mm -hmm. At any time of the day, the subways are always running. You get to choose your own adventure. So that's one, that's one thing I think I'll take away from this podcast. I've like realized this while I've been talking about it. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, Cleo, for starring on this episode of the podcast. And thank you to our viewers for listening to this podcast episode. If you're watching this on YouTube, then make sure to hit the thumbs up and comment and subscribe. And if you're listening to this on, on any other podcast streaming platform, then make sure to give it a huge thumbs up as well and follow if you can. And I think that's it for today. And we'll see. For having me. Yeah, of course. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye. <laughs>